welcome everybody to today's webinar. Um, so we've got quite a lot to get through um, today because we've had lots of questions. So I'm going to do my best to try and, and, and kind of share as much information and answer as many of those questions as possible. So I am going to start with a quick recap on the general risks and controls in relation to COVID-19 because it's important we understand those. And then the focus is really going to be then on the, the risk management within the workplace, particularly looking at social distancing, hygiene, vulnerable workers and emergencies, and also going to look at um, uh, physical and mental health uh, now and as we return to the next normal. Now, uh, advertise, I, I, I'm going to put my hands up that we were going to uh, include opportunities, but we've had so many questions come in around the risk controls that we, we simply won't get a chance I don't think to get to the opportunities but we will include some slides at the end um, so that you have a chance to kind of review those um, and I will be looking to you know uh, get through this in time so we've got some uh, we can have some questions uh, at the end. So in terms of the today's session um, and looking at understanding the virus, the, the reason that we need to really understand the biology of the virus is to ensure that the, the risk management that we put in place within our, our organisations is, is proportionate to the actual risk, the risk of exposure and transmission. It's really important that we understand the virus so that we can provide reassurance to our workers or our clients or our, our customers, um, because again, there's a lot of nervousness around there. And really importantly, it helps us to prevent social stigma and discrimination. And social stigma is around, you know, people who may be um, who are uh, have COVID-19 or are potentially exposed to it. Um, you know, so like healthcare workers um, and these individuals quite often are labelled or stereotyped or discriminated against um, and generally treated differently. Um, and we, we've seen this um, globally, particularly particularly groups from ethnic backgrounds, but as I, as I mentioned, those who have been perceived as being in contact with the virus. We've seen it particularly in healthcare workers, but as we go back into the kind of the rebuild phase and, and reopen and go back to work, that's potentially something that other, um, uh, other workers will be exposed to. So it's something to consider. And of course, you know, we need to um, try and keep up with the, the, the information that's coming through about the risk. Um, and we, but we, it's important we use credible sources. So the World Health or Organization, your, your regional government um, and regulators and industry associations can be a really source, a good source of information. So just a quick, a quick recap on the on the biology then. So COVID-19 virus is spread by respiratory droplets. So those admitted when we were coughing or were sneezing principally. Um, these droplets are relatively large and heavy, so they don't travel far, far um, and they fall to the ground and surface and, clo and clothing quite quickly. They don't linger in the air. But if you are close to somebody when those droplets are expelled, they can be breathed in. And of course, you know, where they do land on surfaces, then they can remain alive on those surfaces for, you know, a period of, of days or even hours. So that's why it's important to, to understand the biology, because then that helps us understand how the controls work and why they're so important. So the controls, you know, it's around personal hygiene. So that's respiratory etiquette. 
covering your 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 face, uh, your your nose and mouth when you cough and sneeze, ideally with a tissue and then disposing of that tissue. Um, hand washing um, regularly or frequently um, because you know if you if you coughed or sneezed and you know, you've used your hands they'll be contaminated but obviously if you touch surfaces then you have this potential con contamination and then if you touch your face in particular then that's how the transmission can hand so that's why the hand washing um, is so important or all the use of um, hand sanitizers um, and you know Minimising contact with people as far as that is practicable um, and we'll, we'll touch on social distancing in a bit more detail and, and, and really importantly, you know, self-isolation if you are symptomatic or, or you've known that you've had exposure to somebody who is um, symptomatic. So that's kind of the, the high level. So let's get into the detail about how it works in terms of actually within the workplace and, and kind of key considerations for it. So I think one of the things that it's important to under, understand is um, we're, in a, we're in a next or moving into a next normal. I, I've been using the term fluxing. Um, you know, it's not new yet because it is likely to evolve and change as, as we understand the risks as, as more of society reopens up. Um, so when you're thinking about doing your, your risk assessments within the context of COVID-19 in, in your, in your organisations and workplaces, it's important to remember that you know your risk assessment needs to be agile and dynamic um, you know it's not necessarily going to be a, a do it once and, and that's it approach um, so you know it's having that flexibility and agility um, to revisit and update and change as needs be but the key elements to think about in terms of the, the risk assessment is where are the transmission and exposure points so you know within your kind of workforce actually looking at you know who's likely to be exposed um, and how often they might be exposed you know that's it that's it that's a key thing you know that likelihood is a, a key element Obviously, identifying if there are vulnerable persons, again, within your workforce or, or those, you know, within your client or customer base that you might need to consider. The what or the who are essential to your business. Um, you know, what's, what is absolutely critical that you need people on site to do? Um, and what are those elements that maybe can be still be done at home? You know, so what is absolutely critical to keeping your business running? And again, that might be short and long term. Um, you know, you, the, the, if, you're a, if you're a manufacturing organization, then the manufacturing is, is essential, but maybe some of the, you know, maybe recruitment of uh, people is something that isn't essential right now, but will become essential uh, you know in a few months uh, time so you know thinking about that in the context of kind of immediate and, and medium and longer term keeping up with the guidance you know and, and that is a challenge it's it's changing almost uh, daily it seems um, but the guidance is there and I think that the thing to understand and be reassured about although there's kind of tweaks around maybe what some of that looks like the the basic principles of control absolutely stay the same you know it is around that hygiene um, and the social distancing and you know and keeping people up apart or at home particularly if they're, they're ill or being exposed you know those, those three fundamentals don't change and also identifying any safety critical either uh, people or activities that you know maintain the kind of the broad safety of your your organization 
And the other thing to consider is, you know, I, I've had quite a few questions kind of around risk assessment and people have said, well, you know, do we do a COVID-19 specific risk assessment or do we change our own risk, you know, existing risk assessments? And the thing is, you know, each organisation will be different you know so some organizations are doing COVID-19 specific but I've seen a lot of organizations also just review their existing risk assessments but kind of look at it in the context of COVID-19 but where you are looking at the COVID-19 risks it's important to remember that you know you've got existing risks within your organization and they still need to be managed but the risk profile the, the, those existing risks it might have changed, they might have increased or decreased, or the controls that you introduce for managing COVID-19 might introduce other risks. So quite a good example of, of this is, um, again, around kind of coming back to the, the social discrimination piece that, you know, people who are dealing with the public, there's always a potential risk around violence and aggression but actually we've seen an increase um, in the likelihood of that um, so again it's important to understand that within the context of your risk assessment and it's important to when you're thinking about your, your risk assessment and particularly sort of re restarting and, re and rebuilding and going back to work that you re remember to think about you know non-routine activities and emergencies you know so it's simple things you know what happens if the office printer breaks down you know how are you going to manage the contractor coming in the, how you might then you know sanitize the the printer after they've been in um what are you going to do in terms of managing fire and first aid activities and i'll, I'll touch a little bit more on those so it's important to to remember those um, in terms of the, you know, as I say, the risk assessment approach, it, 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 it is straightforward in terms of, you know, identifying the hazard. So that's the transmission and exposure points in particular. The identifying the who is likely to be uh, exposed in the likelihood, vulnerable groups and safety workers, and then implement the controls based on those, particularly those three principles, personal hygiene, social distancing and minimising um, uh, contact so the principles are kind of set out so if we look at then moving on into sort of the the controls and, and the areas so again following the principles of the, the three elements we'll, we'll start with hygiene so the hygiene um, kind of we've talked about the respiratory etiquette element of that but one of the things to consider again for for your organizations as you as you rebuild and reopen is actually for your um, workers your staff coming in um, the cl the clothing that they're wearing um, and actually is it appropriate maybe for them to have overalls uh, depending on the nature of the activity um, if they're wearing their own clothes then you know some of the the guidance that I've seen from around the world and we have got a, a global audience again today is that actually you know um, making sure that people um, change their clothes on a daily basis um, and wash their clothes on a daily basis um, and actually if you're um, um, uh, you know in a situation where you were potentially more exposed um, to the virus so you have more interaction with more people um, a really good tip I, I, I heard was that you know when 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 you get home you know if you've got sort of particularly children or a loved one is you know don't hug them 
um, as soon as you get home um, actually get changed out of your out of your sort of work clothes before you do that so you know sort of submit additional tips and within the workplace you know thinking about the respiratory etiquette side of things is can you supply additional tissues for people to use um, and then also um, waste disposal um, you know somewhere for those tissues to go so they're kind of some fun fundamentals the key thing obviously is you know um thinking about obviously the hand washing and and whether there are you've got um sufficient facilities to actually enable that so again particularly on sort of construction sites or in large manufacturing sites a lot of organizations are kind of creating pop-up points so um for additional hand washing or um putting sanitation hand sanitation points in a, you know free uh, regular intervals around the the site or the or the workplace so that people have very easy access to that hand sanitation options if you're providing temporary wel welfare facilities, um, again, particularly for construction sites, then, um, you know, again, that, that's really helpful. But, you know, you've got to think about, you know, changes of weather um, and the implications that that has. And some of the pop up points that I've seen are kind of almost open air ones. And again, they're not necessarily going to work um, for the weather. And the same thing with the, the sanitation points as well around sites is actually, are they weatherproof? Um, you know, so that's sort of practical things to, to consider. When you're thinking about sort of the hygiene within the workplace, so this is really the, the cleaning element of the um, workplace, you know, so it, this is about identifying what to clean and how often to clean it. Um, and, and here you're really focusing on, you know, where are the, the touch points? You know, so where are people making contact, you know, physical contact um, with elements? Um, and, you know, that's obvious things. So en entry points, doors, um, you know, but also you need to think about um, storage rooms and um, plant rooms is, is an area that's often forgotten. Storage containers. But, you know, think about shared areas and facilities, common areas, you know, so the kettle the microwave, the fridge handle. Um, and, the you know, the other one I, I, I thought about the other day is, you know, a lot of workplaces will provide um, milk um, for teas and coffees. You know, so actually you've got a touch point where, uh, you know, your milk container, for instance. So it is important to try and, you know, logically think through all of those touch points um, and think about then how best to um, clean them and how often to clean them. A lot of organisations in terms of managing that are thinking about um, particularly at doors, entry and ex exit points is leaving those door doors open or they potentially have biometric scanners, you know, so fingerprint scanners. And, and actually, again, that's a touch point. So disabling those and leaving doors open, um, which is, a you know, is, is an effective way of managing the potential transmission risk. But of course, that introduces additional risks to consider in terms of security and also so fire safety. So again, it comes back to this point about, you know, you need to consider controls that you might introduce for to manage COVID-19 may change the, the risks or the risk profile of existing risks. In terms of hygiene as well, we need to think about uh, vehicles that our, our organisations might use and, um, you know, making sure that they are cleaned uh, in between drivers if it's a shared vehicle. 
um, or at the start and finish of shifts. If it's if it's not a shared vehicle, I'm going to talk a little bit more about vehicles in social distancing. But you need to consider the the cleaning of those, and also you know actual practical tools and equipments. So you know on on construction sites, you know practical things that might be shared like brick hods or wheelbarrows. Um, you know hired equipment that you might bring in. Um, you know I mentioned in in offices. You know the printer that's a shared facility and and quite often organizations aren't thinking about those so you do need to identify as I say all those things where people will physically touch them at some point um, and consider how frequently you clean them you know and the more frequently those items are touched the more frequently you need to clean them you know as a, as a really simple guide the other thing in terms of hygiene is obviously a lot of organisations are providing individuals with cleaning materials to clean their workstations or their desks or, as I say, or, or for vehicles. So again, thinking about, um, you know, are there risks with introducing that cleaning equipment? You know, some individuals um, might be um, more susceptible to the chemicals in, in those um, cleaning materials, you know, so you need to think about your, your potential substance risks. Um, and also the, the key thing with the, the hygiene that we've seen is that, you know, people are washing their hands more regularly or, or using this um, cleaning equipment and that can introduce dermatitis risks. So that's something that you'll, you'll want to consider. And also when you're thinking about um, the cleaning within, as I say, workplaces, vehicles, and as I say, tools and equipment, it's important to understand there's kind of your, your routine cleaning, your day-to-day -day cleaning, and then consider what you need to do in terms of um, a, a more, if you like, a deep clean when there is a suspected or known COVID exposure within your workplace where somebody actually, you know, um, is confirmed with having uh, the virus and identifying again where they maybe where they've sat in an office or the equipment that they've used on a site um, and having a, a more robust pro process for for cleaning and disinfecting those items and again you know lots of um, signage and reminders for people around that and actually one of the things I've seen introduced uh, the use of technology um, and we have it sometimes on our on our on our computers and laptops for, to remind us to to go and take a break or you know to do some stretching is actually I've now seen some organisations set up reminders for, for hand washing through that technology. And the other thing on just kind of hygiene and starts to move move us on into social distancing is around um, toilets and access to toilet facilities. Um, and this can be a kind of a, a, a challenge. Um, so again, some tips I've seen uh, in this. Ideally, we want to, for particularly construction sites or temporary sites, avoid portable toilets because they, they just don't have the, the level of ha particularly hand sanitization that is ideal. Um, but if you, you know, if you, if you, if that's your only solution, then, you know, appreciate that. But, you know, toilets, a, a good tip is, you know, have hand sanitation um, points just outside the toilet so people can sanitize their hands as they go in and then as they come back out again. Um, obviously, regularly cleaning, particularly of, of door handles into toilets but the other thing to consider is actually you know where you've got kind of toilet blocks and, and managing social distancing because they can be quite you know it can be impossible to manage social distancing in a lot of toilets or certainly the entry and exit points you know is to put a lock on the main door so that only one person can enter and exit at a time um, so you know that's something for, for you to consider 
So that kind of brings us on then transitions nicely into social distancing. So the, again, lots and lots of questions we've had in around this, so I'll, I'll do my best to, to kind of cover those. So, you know, social distancing is our, our primary control. So this is what we, we need to focus on. So the, the best social distancing that we can do while actually working is to work at home where that's possible and that's not always possible for, for everybody and I think the other thing to understand as well is that obviously you know working at home is not an ideal solution for for some individuals it's you know even if they could potentially do the work at home their work environment might not be suitable it might not be safe or it might not be productive because they've got young children um, you know so I think it's understand need to understand that but it is kind of you know the 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 best control if we're thinking about the kind of hierarchy of control then it, it definitely comes up, up at the top for the health and safety uh, professionals of you on uh, listening to this webinar where we can't keep people um you know at home and they do need to come into the workplace then the the key thing here is to think about how you can minimize the number of people that are in the workplace at any one time so again this comes back to identifying the the who is essential and the what is essential in terms of those activities um, and prioritizing those in terms of being in the workplace then it's obviously working out how you can manage social distancing in the workplace and there are, there are different ways of doing that. Um, you can work out the capacity in a workspace, so, so looking at the square footage and doing some maths in terms of you know, what the square footage is and therefore if you're, if you're, you know, you're maintaining in the UK two metres, that's, you know, that's uh, different in different countries. For Australia it's 1.5 for instance. I mean the World Health Organization actually only talk about one meter. Um, so again you'll you'll need to think about that in the context of, of your own countries and, and the guidance around that. Um, but you can think about the capacity or or you can get a tape measure out and start measuring what the distance is, is between desks um, and workstations. Where you can, in terms of helping with that social distancing, can you move desks or workstations apart um, or, you know, again, temporary work sites, containers or, um, you know, uh, facilities, you know, they're, they're often grouped in sort of temporary units. Can you move those further apart to help with the so social distancing? Um, and again, you know, you focus on what the work at areas or activities but you also need to consider um, what sort of pinch points so entry and exit points to um, organizations so you know the ways in um, and out so again the sorts of things that we're seeing organizations do to help manage that is having star staggered start and finish times um, again particularly for maybe larger sites or temporary sites you can potentially add in additional entry and exit points um, so you have more places for, for people to come in and out of and again manage the additional risks that come with that in terms of security you need to think about you know welfare and break facilities um, and how you manage social distancing in those you know canteens kitchenettes you know people where, where they go and make their cup of tea um, and again staggered break times work with that and I've touched on toilets already but lifts as well you know how you can manage social distancing in lifts corridors you know um, transit routes with within organizations and around sites um, and I'll, I'll touch on sort of the additional controls around that um, but also again coming back to sort of um, emergencies um, 
you know, making it clear that if there's an emergency like a fire evacuation, then during the evacuation, then, you know, social distancing is not the priority. Getting people out is the, is the priority. But then you can actually think about once people are evacuated from the building, you know, can you spread them out more in terms of creating more assembly points? You know, that's that's a practical solution um, in terms of emergencies. You know, smoking areas, again, is an area that I've seen people kind of forget about. Um, and also delivery and dispatch points of where you've got people, um, either people coming in and out or obviously deliveries in terms of um, equipment and machinery. So I've talked about sort of staggering shifts. Um, as I say, reducing staffing to the minimum level is a, a good way to help with social distancing. It is important to think about contractors who may be coming into the workplace. So those who may come in routinely. So you might have kind of, um, again, on work sites, you've got a lot of contractors who might be coming in. But also think about those, again, those non-routine um, contractors that might be coming in. So I, I've, I've talked about sort of the breakdown of equipment scenario that the office printer or it might be the water system or the heating system um you know those sorts of things but also you know the statutory inspections that might be going on so contractors coming in to do water checks on legionella or testing um fire alarm systems and smoke detectors you know you're you need to be thinking about those um signage and markings are really good you know you can block off areas or use tape or markings to show distances you can see in the on the picture here um, that's been done in a lift situation um, and you'll see that actually if you look carefully the feet are pointing so everybody is is actually away facing away from each other um, and i'll come on to why that that can be useful um, shortly um, Use of technology. Um, so I, I said about sort of using technology for reminding people to wash their hands, but actually technology can be really useful for helping in social distancing. So things like, you know, um, can you do your site inductions? Um, uh, through webinars and while we're talking about site inductions for those organizations that are kind of um, restarting and people are coming back to work for the first time um, after potentially weeks or, or months you will need to consider sort of your reinduction process because you're going to have different controls in place you know there's there might be one-way systems for instance for, for managing social distancing you know you need to confirm what your arrangements are for things like fire evacuation and first aid because that might be slightly different so you do need to think about reinduction but you can do it um, virtually over the web a really a, a really sensible one is is things like using phones for communicating on site um you know so actually you don't have to go and physically talk to somebody you can actually just phone them on site or use radios that's quite an effective way you can do remote um auditing and and site inspections actually again you know technology allows for that much more easily um you know webcams on on phones or um even potentially for some organizations and, and this is something we've done we we've even used sort of technology like um smart glasses what can you put postpone in terms of meetings or trainings you know some non-essential activities um is you know is something also to, to consider 
Obviously, in most countries, people are encouraged not to use public transport where that's possible uh, to help with the social distancing. So that means that, you, you know, you might need additional car parking on site or secure bike storage. Um, and again, bike storage will be then somewhere that you'll need to think about um, hygiene and, and cleanliness. Um, and particularly for sort of um, construction or, or other maybe temporary sites um, or even actually in, in factories, you know, if people do use their personal cars, that is a potential short term solution for somewhere that, you know, for, for them to go and have their breaks in a safe environment, you know, because their own cars will, you know, will be um, be able to manage in a different way. Um, I think the one of the things we've seen particularly for uh, construction organisations is, is, is they've been using, a lot, using good weather to do a lot of activities outside, site inductions, toolbox talks, team meetings, those sorts of things, which is a great short-term solution, but we're likely to be dealing with this for uh, a good few months um, and, and, pro and probably potentially longer than that. So you need to start thinking about what to do, um, you know, in the bad weather and winter um because outdoors is not going to be practical if it's snowing for instance so social distancing is what you're aiming to do first um, and foremost where that's practical but of course in a, in a number of all you know scenarios that's not and that's when we can start to look at other controls um such as screens and barriers so that moves us on so screens and barriers um, between sort of workstations or work activities is, is a way of um, um, helping to manage risk. But again, it's important to understand that if you introduce screens and, and barriers where social distancing isn't um, possible, they become a surface that needs to be cleaned. Um, and, you know, I've seen some really good short term solutions, um, you know, people using cardboard as a, as a screen. But of course, that can't be cleaned very effectively. It can be changed regularly, um, but it can't be cleaned. So, you know, screens and barriers are, are a potential option. But you need to, again, think about the additional risks um, that might come into that. The sorts of other things that you can consider, um, you know, is is limits the activity time um, of a particular job. So if there is a if there is a particular activity that involves, uh, you know, sort of more than two people in close proxi proximity, can you keep the time that that they do that job to the minimum? Um, um and or you know can you can you rotate it in in some way with the rotation you need to be careful that's kind of you know they they that if it's two people then they need to be kept together um that comes to kind of another solution kind of the work bubble um so where you've got activities that actually do need um more than you know more than uh, a single person so two or more people um actually can you create a, a work bubble so a fixed team or partnering so it's always those people that work together for that particular activity or that particular shift and the reason that helps is that um, again, it's minimising the number of people who, you know, who are exposing each, to each other, if you like. Um, and the other benefit of that is, of course, that, you know, if if one of those individuals in that bubble does become ill, um, it's then much easier to identify and isolate the other team members. Um, so managing that kind of, if you like, your internal track and trace system, which you'll also need to establish, um, you know, to make sure that you manage risk um, where you do have um, exposures. 
so I mentioned on the picture on the, the lift about the people were facing away from each other. So again, a, another solution, you know, sort of working down the hierarchy is actually if you, if you can't keep people apart or screens and barriers aren't practical, can people work back to back or side to side? Um, and again, you know, think that comes back to thinking about the, the biology of the virus and the fact that it's emitted, you know, um, in the respiratory droplets. Um, so any, you know, that the, the main, if you like, zone of, of risk is obviously directly in front of somebody. So if you've got your back to somebody, you are less exposed if, uh, to those respiratory droplets and, and the same in terms of side to side potentially. So that's a, another solution. I've talked about start and finish times, um, you know, and break times and staggering those can be, again, an effective way of managing risk. One-way systems um, around uh, sites, again, is another way of, of minimising um, potential uh, social, uh, you know, or helping with the social distancing where that's that's possible. And, and particularly, um, I can say those pinch points um, can be very effective. I've talked about touch-based um, touch security alternatives, um, you know, so moving away from biometrics or, or swipe cards, because again, that's a, a touch point um, element. And the other thing to consider is you might be able to do um, set up specified work zones, um, you know, so particular activities in particular places with your particular group of people. That can be a way of, again, minimising exposure or, or and limiting it to a, a controlled group that is easier to manage. So in relation to kind of this social distancing, we have had a few questions in terms of how to manage vehicles. Um, so just bear with me. A quick sip of water. So in terms of um, vehicles that, you, that might be required um, for work activities. So ideally, we want people to be using their own private um, vehicle um, and single occupancy, so just one person in it. So we had a question about car sharing. So car sharing isn't really a solution at the moment, unfortunately. Um, if there is a requirement to have company vehicles, um, then again, th the ideal solution to this is to minimise, you know, the, the number of people who use that vehicle and are in that vehicle. So ideally, one person to one vehicle um, is the ideal solution. But of course, that's not always practical. So then kind of, again, it's just thinking through kind of what the other options are. So, um, you know, if, can it be a single person in the vehicle but it's obviously the, the vehicle might be used two or three times um different shifts so again thinking about the, the cleaning in between those shifts as, as different people enter and re-enter um if 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 they need it's two persons you know maybe it's a, a delivery um you know it's a it's a heavy item and you need more two, two people you know what are the options for for keeping them socially distanced within the cab but you know a lot of cabs are designed for instance with three seats you know um but if there's only two people and they're sitting at each end of the cab then actually you know the distancing becomes a little bit more manageable um it's difficult to think about adding in um sort of if you like the the barriers or screens within a vehicles because again they they potentially introduce um new or different risks in case of an accident so that's not necessarily a solution so then you are looking really at the cleaning regime and identifying the the touch points in particular in vehicles so you know the 
the car, the handle in and out of the door, um, you know, seat belts, the gear lever, the steering wheel, you know, the controls for the air conditioning and the radio, you know, all of those things will need to be thought about and thinking about in terms of cleaning. Um, of course, you know, the the kind of the, the last option within the context of all of the of the controls right at the bottom of the hierarchy um is oh there you go I've got a reminder about updating um is the use of personal protective equipment so let's have a, a bit more of a detailed look at that um because i think the the key thing as i said is you know it's very much the last resort and um, the last thing to consider um if you if you use PPE for existing risks, then you need to continue to uh, to, to use that. Um, if you do need or you know you identify that there are people who are in particular need it for additional PPE to manage the COVID risk, you need to ensure that that's compatible compatible with any other PPE they might be wearing for if you like their normal job related risks. Um, if you do from take a risk base, you know, do your risk assessment and identify that for some of your, your workforce, um, PPE is needed. And, and, and principally what we're talking about here is disposable um, face masks and disposable gloves. Then you need to obviously provide that for free and make sure that there's enough of it and think about how you actually manage the issue of minimising contact. But I think the key thing to understand about um, disposable gloves and masks is they really do fundamentally provide a full sense of protection. Um, and what it then encourages is poor personal hygiene. So if we think about gloves, people might wear gloves. Um, but then they will forget to wash their hat, wash the gloves, you know, so they're touching surfaces um, which may be contaminated um, with the virus. And then they'll still touch their face or they'll touch other objects, um, but they're not doing the, the hand cleaning. So actually it, it potentially becomes an infection agent in themselves. And it's it's the same with with masks as well. Um, you know, that the the interior obviously that people are breathing into is obviously going to um, become con contaminated um, but also obviously the exterior is potentially contaminated so you know when you come into uh, you know if somebody then takes the mask off and puts it down you know next to the next to the kettle while they make a cup of tea then again you've got this potential exposure additional exposure piece so it is really important to to manage this carefully um and also think about you know that of the you know the wearing of of ppe um even disposable ppe you know can introduce additional risks so things like um heat stress in in particularly hot weather um so you know if you do identify a need for um disposable ppe for managing covid then you know keep it to as short as duration as possible as needed for the particular activity um, or think about the time of day that that activity is going on. Um, and obviously there has been a huge demand for um, PPE. So there are a lot of issues in terms of um, um, fake. So it's important to look for reputable suppliers um, and then to check certificates um, where they are CE marks. So for instance, for, for BSI um, certified uh, PPE, there's either a link on the certificate where you can check it or you can use um, our verified directory. So, 
you know, the, the, the issue with disposable PPE for, for managing COVID, you know, is varies hugely around the world. So the key thing here is you need to look at what your, your local guidance um, and government requirements are. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, in, in the UK, literally overnight, um, we've gone from a kind of a general recommendation for wearing of face coverings on public transport to in a week's time, it's going to be um, mandatory. Um, there's one of the attachments in this table um, gives you more guidance about what the difference is between, um, you know, sort of different types of face masks and then what face coverings are. And it is important to understand that face coverings are not PPE. Um, and if people are using face coverings, either because, and I think we can't underestimate this, people are looking about, you know, for reassurance about minimising their exposure and kind of having something on your face. It, it does create this sort of feeling of protection, but it is a false feeling of protection. But people are going to use it or it's being mandated. You obviously then need to think about how you're going to manage that when they come into the workplace, if they are using um, public transport. You know, so um, are you providing suitable storage facilities for them to put the face coverings? You know, are you encouraged them to put them in their own bags and not to put them on a desk? Because, again, you know, they are this, um, uh, this source of infection and transmission. So, you know, quite a lot to think about, but there is some guidance on the document you can download about the different elements of that. So moving on and trying to get through the last key points so we can allow some time for questions, you also need to consider vulnerable workers. So broadly speaking, there are um, those who are extremely vulnerable um, in terms of the, the COVID-19 risks. So they're, they're ones with very serious health conditions. Um, you know, they, they might be, um, uh, might have cancer or an, or an immune um, uh, immune response issue, in which case, you know, they've been advised to stay at home and, and what we call in the UK be shielded. So stay at home and, and try and not be exposed to anybody else, ideally. So, you know, uh, if they live in a household with other people, then ideally those people shouldn't be going out. That's kind of what we mean by being shielded. There are then those who are maybe clinically vulnerable to COVID. So they're the, the sort of groups who may be, you know, the, the older groups or they have a, an underlying health condition such as diabetes, which means that they just, you know, the, the research seems to suggest that they might be clinically more vulnerable. And again, ideally, you know, you want them to work from home. But again, you know, for, for both of these groups, it might not be possible, you know, for them to work from home. And, you know, they, they need to come into work in order to earn money to, to keep feeding themselves in simple terms. So actually, what can you do to, 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 to minimise the risk to them? You know, can they have a different role so that they um, are in a role that maintains social distancing within the, within, the, within the workplace. Can you set up again, that's where work zones might, might become um, uh, an effective way of managing those. So again, you need to think that. There's obviously then a kind of the, what we, it, again, health and safety professionals might familiarly call kind of usual vulnerable groups. So that's expectant mothers, young and disabled. They also need to be considered. Um, and it's also important to understand that 
you know, an individual themselves might not be vulnerable in any way, but they might live with somebody, um, you know, either kind of relative or housemates who who fall into this vulnerable group, which means that they might not be able to come back to work because they're worried about then exposing that vulnerable person in their household. Um, you know, so it is important to understand that and, and have some consideration about how you will manage it. And in the context of all of this and making your decisions about how best to um, protect these groups is, you know, you need to be careful that you are not discriminating, um, you know, that you're doing, re you're taking what uh, is quite often called reasonable adjustments for these individuals, um, you know, so it's really good to work particularly with your HR team in terms of managing the risks for this group. So kind of the last, last few pieces just to kind of touch on them before we get to quick Q&A. Um, it's physical and mental health. So I think it's really important to understand that, you know, for a lot of people, they may have been off work for a, for a long time and they may have been quite sedentary during that period. Um, and as they go back to work and particularly in manufacturing or on sort of construction sites, um, you know, their, their, their work activity may actually be quite physical, but they haven't been doing that um, so actually, you, you need to bear in mind there'll be an increased risk of aches and pains and, and potentially injury as people return to work. So, you know, you might want to consider a stage return to work. So building them up so they actually maybe only come back for, a, you know, a, a, a two or three hours or you, they only do the physical, the, the physical activity for a couple of hours and then they do something that is less physical for the rest of the time. Um, you know, managing short duration of, of more intense physical activity, you know, and there's nothing wrong with encouraging warm ups, you know, actually getting those muscles, you know, warmed up before they start the activity. So on, on the on the on the mental health side, on psychological impacts, again, this is kind of a, a whole subject in itself, but kind of key points to to bear in mind, you know, there's it's going to be short, medium and long term in terms of the, the psychological impacts that people will be dealing with. And it's important to, you know, don't underestimate, um, you know, common mental health issues, particularly sort of the anxiety aspects, you know, and not everybody will bounce back as quickly. And in terms of anxiety, you know, a really a lot of people are anxious about obviously, you know, contracting the virus um, and, you know, all their all their loved ones becoming ill. Um, but a lot of people are really anxious about just things that they haven't done for a long time. So actually maybe driving, getting in the car and driving to work or getting on the bus and coming into the office for the first time in months. Um, a lot of people are, are very worried about actually going back to work. And I think most people have experienced that, you know, that kind of Sunday night feeling, you know, when you start to think about going back to work on a Monday and you might get, you know, butterflies in your tummy or you don't sleep very well. You know, that's sort of that's a low level sort of anxiety. But, you know, that's suddenly significantly increased where it's been, you know, weeks or months since they've gone in. Um, people will be worried about the continuing uncertainty. You know, um, there's a lot of change going on in their workplaces, you know, so actually just learning, you know, the new one way systems or, the, you know, the changes to their working hours or the staggered breaks, you know, that is all change and, and people get quite anxious about change. And then, of course, you know, there's there's the, the, the longest sort of the implications in terms of job security. Um, you know, it's it, I think it's 
fairly probable now that we're into a recession and you know actually people will be worried about their jobs you know we've got additional stresses you know um, children aren't at school so they're homeschooling and childcare issues they're not you know you're not seeing relatives um, financial pressures you know that concern either because they have individuals haven't been working or they are concerned about job security so all of these factors are you know um, are actually an element within uh, thinking about mental health and anxiety and you know causing depression stress but it's also important to consider you know those work factors um, and I've touched on you know kind of the key ones you know job security there's a lot of change going on but also it's you know worth bearing in mind that you know in some instances people might be doing longer hours you know so there's an issue around fatigue and that can have an impact on mental health and the last thing I just like to flag up on this is that you know there's very good evidence that um, when people go through an, uh, an epidemic or, or pandemic some people will experience post-traumatic stress um, syndrome or disorder um, and this can actually you know this can come on months or even years after the actual um, incident itself so as an organization you know when you're thinking about the support that you give for people and organizations I think are stepping up really well in terms of you know training and advice and signposting to help um, it is important that you you know this is not just for now you need to do that in the long term so I'm really conscious about time communication is really important lots of it really regular and really consistent um, and to help you in terms of understanding kind of some of these points, um, BSI has produced two new guidance documents. So there's a new guidance guideline document, which is now open for public comment um, on safe working guidelines. Um, and there's a new special report, which is kind of has a, an insight from a range of stakeholders in terms of how they're managing COVID. And there's, there's going to be some resource links at the end, um, and we've included links to those on uh, on that page so you can go and see those so in terms of, of supporting you um, you know and where you are on this journey um, you know we've touched on it at, at the beginning that there you know we have a range of standards that are available you know if you're looking to look after your people then ISO 45001 the health and safety management system is a really effective one for that a range of training um, including on pandemic preparedness um, introducing a, a new um, hygienic premises mark of trust so that's really looking at making sure that you've got the robust controls around cleanliness and testing those controls um, and where they're in place actually having a visible mark associated with that um, and uh, you know where you're looking at social distancing you know we can also offer consultancy around ergonomic assessments 